I want to tell you all one of my favorite Bible verses, and my family is going to absolutely cringe when they hear this because it's one of those verses I like to quote. Um, It's probably got the greatest cringe factor, and some of you have probably heard me repeat it too. It's Genesis 21, 12. Could we put that up there? Genesis 21. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Yeah. Another translation says, do whatever Sarah tells you. And then if I really want to get, you know, Shakespearean and all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so clearly, as I start this talk, I'm taking scripture way out of context, right? <laughs> but I'm giving this very far-fetched example to remind us that how we read scripture is important as reading scripture in the first place, right? The lens through which we read and how we read. Um, Sometimes we look to scripture as a formula with a prescription of what we should do, how to live our best life. And yes, scripture has lots of good ideas and ways and precepts and laws and commands and statutes of gods and things that we should follow. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So that's why I love scripture. If you know me, you know I have like a hundred favorite Bible verses. But we should be discerning about when, when scripture is describing something and when it's prescribing something, especially when it comes to the Old Testament. And we've been in the Old Testament series for quite a while, the life of David. And so Genesis 21.12 is not about listening to me today. It's about, it was describing how Abraham and Sarah were interacting in their walk of faith. It wasn't prescribing how you should respond to me today, unless, you know, I really wanted to get authoritarian. <laughs> John 5, 39 through 40. These are Jesus's words. And I remember, I just, they started really sticking out at me this year. Listen to this. Jesus says this. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I mean, so often we we look in all these places, even scripture, and Jesus is like, would you just come and just sit with me? Would you just, let's sing a few songs. Let's look at creation. Let's take communion. Let's eat with other believers. Just Let's just be together and see what I do. The Bible is full of stories, wisdom, poetry, the apostles' doctrine, good, foundational, critical truths. But these truths testify about and point us to Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives life. So today we're going to read some stories about David as he becomes king of Judah and Israel. For those of you who are with us for the first time, guess we've been in this long series about King David in the Bible. You can find it in 1st and 2nd Samuel. We're going to see some of the dumb, very dumb things people do around him. 
And perhaps we'll find ourselves in this story because, yes, sometimes we do dumb things, don't we? <laughs> but we're going to look and we're going to, and hopefully I, I'm praying that these stories will teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives, correct us, and teach us to do what is right. Ultimately, pointing us to Jesus, the one who gives life. Amen? Okay, will you all pray with me? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, our teacher, as we continue worship and explore your word today, would you awaken our hearts, expand our thinking, and shape who we are today and what we do tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week in our story, King Saul and Jonathan have died. They've been killed in battle. And David, good shepherd that he is, he doesn't go into schadenfreude, which you can listen to last week to find out about that. Apparently, that was everyone's favorite word. And I didn't even know it's Trevor Noah's favorite word. Somebody told me later. Anyways, <laughs> I digress. Sorry. David, good shepherd that he is, he leads the people of Judah and Israel in lamenting their deaths and pausing them to think about and remember what has happened in Israel, how the mighty have fallen. David takes them, instead of singing songs of victory over Saul's death, instead of rejoicing in the demise of his enemy, he laments and he goes on this journey of grief. We're going to pick up in 2 Samuel 2. It says, In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked. And the Lord said, go up. David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David takes his whole family, all the men that he has with him and their families, and all the people of Judah go up to Hebron. And there they anoint David, finally, as king over the tribe of Judah. He's 30 and he will be king of Hebron for seven and a half years. When, Hebron, when David was told that it was the men from Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, he sent messengers to them to say to them, the Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. Now then, be strong and brave, for Saul, your master, is dead, and the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. So I just want to highlight a few points in this passage, because we're going to contrast David's response here to the response of the people. First of all, it was over the course of time. David's enemy Saul was finally dead. Did he run to the throne? Did he run to be anointed? No. He, over the course of time, he was patient. He went slowly. He wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't in a rush. He wasn't rushing grief over what had happened in Israel, and he wasn't rushing to grab his position. What else did he do? He inquired of the Lord. Remember, this is the constant theme we hear. David stops and inquires of the Lord. He's constantly looking to the Lord, the one who gives life. When the Lord says, go, he goes. And he doesn't just go alone. He brings people with him. He's like, come on, let's go do what the Lord told us to do. 
An important thing to know, there are 12 tribes in Israel, and Judah is just one of them. David is just anointed king over the tribe of Judah. The rest of Israel, they're like, "Mm, not so sure about this. And it takes seven and a half years before things change. The other thing, David blesses Saul's people, the Benjamites, the people of Jabesh-Gilead. He blesses them. He shows them the same favor and kindness and faithfulness that he shows his own people. And he tells them, he encourages them, be strong, be brave. David isn't just for the people of Judah, even though it's only the people of Judah that are for him. David is for the whole, all of Israel. It's a foreshadowing. This is all a foreshadowing because David is a man after God's own heart. David has God's heart in him long before he actually gets to to make it official. It's in his heart already. It's a foreshadowing of David welcoming all the nations, the Israelites and the foreign people. David is representing a new kind of culture, a new kind of kingdom, a new kind of reign. Israel was used to an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, blood, revenge, tribe first, survival, warfare. But David demonstrates someone who can actually genuinely love his enemies, someone who wants to care for the tribes of Israel. And he's going to create a place of worship for everyone to come. So, In contrast, his family and his followers aren't getting the culture. (laughs) They don't get the vision. They don't understand his heart at all. The next section in my Bible heading, it has little section headers, is war between the houses of David and Saul. And I made a little illustration and I forgot to put it in there. So it's not up there. But I want you to imagine a house, you know, when you open a book and you, there's so many characters, you can't tell who's who. And so they have like this family's genealogy and this family's genealogy. So here's Saul's house. Here's David's house. And in Saul's house, he has a son, remaining surviving son, um, Ishbosheth. And then he has a commander of his armies, all the commander of the armies of Israel. And his name is Abner, Commander Abner. So Abner's with Saul. In David's house over here, we have his sister, Zariah, and her three sons, Joab, um, Abishai, and Asahel. So those are three hard names. I, I don't know how I'm going to say them this whole, the rest of this message. We got this: the sons of Zariah. That's what we call them, the sons of Zariah. Joab is the commander of the armies of Joab. And then there's Abishai and Asahel. So... Soon after, David's called this truce. Soon after, he's blessing the tribe of Benjamin. A full-blown feud breaks out between these two houses with the sons of Zariah led by Joab fighting Abner and all of Israel. They meet at the pool of Gibeon. Each group takes a side of the pool. I'm like picturing Romeo and Juliet West Side Story, Sharks and Jets, East Side, West Side, ridiculous. I'll meet you out back at noon, high noon, right? (laughs) And Abner says to Joab, we'll bring 12 of our young men, you and Joab, you bring 12 of your young men and we'll have them fight. 
And they're like, yo, let's do that. <laughs> 12, always a significant number, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Later, you know, the 12 disciples. It's always 12. It means the 12 of us. We're supposed to be together. We're, in, we're a nation. We're a people. We're supposed to be in this together. But no, let's take it out back and get your 12 youngest and our 12 youngest and let's fight it out. Joab agrees to it. This is what happens, 2 Samuel 2.16. The men from each side grabbed their opponents' heads and stabbed them with their daggers. They all fell dead, the whole bunch together, so they called the place Slaughter Park. It's right there at Gibeon. Slaughter Park. Great start. Then full-on gang warfare happens the rest of the day. Fighting breaks out all day long, and Saul's house is pushed back by David's men. And David's nephew, Asahel, begins chasing Commander Joe, um, Abner, Saul's commander. And Abner is a very skilled warrior. He's a commander. He's, he knows what he's doing, and he just keeps, he's like Jason Bourne. He knows how to evade. So he evades Asahel, but he doesn't want to turn and confront him. At one point, Abner says, Abner's like, come on, let's stop this. Let up on me. Pick on someone you have a chance of beating and be content with those spoils. But Asahel, one of the sons of Zariah, wouldn't let up. Abner tried again, turn back. Don't force me to kill you. How would I face your brother Joab? It's like Abner and Joab have respect for one another. You know, I, don't, I can't face your brother Joab if I kill you. I'll send those other 12 guys, but I just, I hate it. So terrible. But when Asahel refuses to quit, Abner strikes him in the gut with a spear. Asahel falls to the ground and dies at once. Everyone who arrived at the spot where Asahel fell and died stood and gaped. He's dead. Asahel is dead. Like, yeah, this is what happens (laughs) when you go out chasing each other to kill one another. You die. So after that, Joab and Asahel's other brother, so the remaining two sons of Zariah, keep up the chase after Abner. And as the sun begins to set, they come to a hill in the back country. And the Benjamites, representing the the Israel army, they take their stand with Abner there strategically on a hill. And Abner calls out to Joab from the hill. Must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? Must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? The next verse says, how long before you call off your men from chasing their brothers? They're fighting each other. And he's like, let's stop this. Joab replies to Abner, as God lives, If you hadn't spoken up, we'd have kept up the chase until morning. Somebody, yay, somebody put an end to this. Then Joab blew the ram's horn trumpet, and the whole army of Judah stopped in its tracks. They quit chasing Israel and called off the fighting. They blew the trumpet. They stopped Israel in their tracks for a moment. Just for a moment. The peace doesn't last long. 
In chapter 3, Saul's commander quarrels with Saul's son, Ishbosheth. And Abner ends up seeking David and says, I want to go to your side, David. I'm not with Saul's house anymore. I'm going to come with you. So King David receives Abner and his change of allegiance and sends him off in peace. Okay, Abner comes. Abner reconciles. David receives him, sends him off in peace. This is, the, this is David's heart. But David's people, will they have it? No. Joab doesn't agree with this. Secretly, he goes off and he kills Abner. He stabs him in the stomach again. And he says it's to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel. And so he stabs him in the stomach. Joab didn't do this with David's permission or blessing. He didn't do it for the good of peace. He didn't do it for the good of Israel. He did it for vengeance. Ah. Then David says to Joab, this is a repeat. For those of you who didn't listen to last week, this is kind of like part two of last week. Because the same thing happens again. David tells all the people, tear your clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes. We're going to walk in mourning for Abner of the house of Saul. King David himself walks in front of the funeral procession. They bury Abner in Hebron, and the king weeps aloud at Abner's tomb, and all the people weep with him. And of course, David, what else does he do? He writes a song. He writes a song. Again, with rhythm and melody, the king sang this lament for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked. And all the people wept over him again. Then the king said this to his men. Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am anointed king, I am weak. And these sons of Zariah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. I want to read a section from Leap Over a Wall. I got to get my glasses out. I hate my glasses, everyone. I'm, I'm thankful for them. I'm so thankful for them, but I'm not used to using them. So bear with me if I can read. <laughs> this is from Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. His chapter heading for this section is Boneheads. <laughs> we read page after page of this kind of thing and think, what's this doing in the Bible? I don't want to read about jerks like Abner and Joab. I get enough of their kind in the newspapers and on television. I want good news. I want the David story. I want to read about Jesus. What the Bible needs is a good editor. Why waste gospel ink on Joab and Abner? If God is working here, speaking here, why don't things work out better? Why don't people behave better? Why are boneheads like Joab and Abner in the Bible and allowed to take up so much space? If God is at the center of things, why does history get so messed up? The answer is quite obvious, even if we don't like it. This is the context and company in which God chooses to work out our salvation. Abner and Job are also in this story, and the sooner we get used to it, the better. 
The sons of Zariah are in the story. There's no getting around it. We find that there's hardly a page in the Bible that doesn't insist that we take notice of them. That's why so many people quit reading the Bible or repudiate it. I can't read the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Too much fighting, too much brutality. But that's exactly why Christians do read it. Because we find God's purposes being worked out in the precise moral and political, social and cultural conditions that we wake up to every morning. A world of shabby morality and opportunist companions, religious violence, religious propaganda. The many, many sons of Zariah that are too hard for us. Boneheads. The sons of Zariah, they're too strong for us. This is the Bible, and there's a hardly a page that doesn't insist that we don't take notice of them. We can sometimes have a romantic version of life. I'm very guilty of this. I'm definitely a glass half full kind of gal. I'm always looking for the silver lining. It's just, I've got faith, you all. I'm an optimist. I've got hope. And then we have these sons of Zariah in our life. We kind of bring a reality check sometimes. Like, why isn't this working out? And then I get upset because this is not how it should be. I think about how we've waited and waited. Maybe Saul, maybe David felt this way when Saul is finally dead. I finally can step into the job and the role that I've been called to. Maybe you feel that way sometimes at work. I finally got the position. I finally got the role. I finally got the recognition I've been waiting for. Now I'll make more money. Or maybe it's not even money that matters. It's my talents, my skills, my ideas. Finally, I get to to be in that place. And I get there and I realize, oh, I'm working with the sons of Zariah. (laughs) Or worse, I'm a son of Zariah. I'm a daughter of Zariah. I'm the one causing trouble. Sometimes in marriage and relationships, like, oh, if I can just find the right guy, if I can just find the right girl, then everything will be better. If I could just find the right friend, if I could just have a friend. I don't like my friends. I need a new friend. We're holding out for that friend. We'll be together forever, BFFs. And then we find out, oh, she's a son or she's a daughter of Zariah. Oh, I'm acting like the sons of Zariah. Oh, this relationship is harder than I thought. Sometimes church. I love to imagine just that glorious church for what that spotless bride that's spoken of in the book of Revelation, where, man, we're just going to be this beautiful worldwide, all the nations, all the people coming before the throne. And I definitely have my hope in that day. But for now, I'm like, can we just be a church that worships and serves one another and loves one another and forgives one another and shares and looks out for the least of these? But sometimes we're messy. (laughs) Sometimes we're sons of Zariah, and sometimes we're like the house of David and the house of Saul, and we fight one another, and we're feuding, and we're meeting out at high noon, 
you know? But the Bible reminds us, I would not want to preach on this. I would never pick to preach on this, but it was the next step in the story. And so it's like, oh, I have to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded of this. This is how it goes. Sometimes we take up arms with one another. Ecclesiastes speaks about there being different seasons for different types of responses to life, right? Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. There's different seasons for how we work with one another, different ways we overcome conflict, different ways we process things. But sometimes the rules of our different houses get out of, get out of control. Sometimes offenses or politics or doctrinal differences or longstanding conflicts between our families can become a good excuse to fight at the pool of Gibeon. Sometimes just fighting is easier than processing the pain and the disappointments. It's easier than having a song of lament and considering how the mighty have fallen in our own lives. Sometimes it's easier to pull out our daggers than sing the lament of Abner with David. Uh, this week, we started our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. And I, I think it's good stuff, you all. I think it's good stuff. And already, someone's come to me and said, when's the next grief share course? I realized I didn't grieve properly. I realized I just, my dad died when she was really young. And she's like, I just had to be strong. I just had to stuff it all. And I need to process this. And I was like, yes, yes. We have our freedom seminar that helps us look, and, and Sharon's upcoming course as well, that helps us look at generational sin, different curses in our life, things that keep us from moving forward in life and living abundantly. Places where idolatry has kept us in destructive circular cycles where we just go through the same things over and over again, like the, the house of Saul and the house of David, just repeating their pain over and over and over again, instead of stopping and saying, let's lament. Let's talk about what's wrong here at a deeper level. Let's talk about the people who are supposed to be powerful and mighty in our lives, how the mighty have fallen. The people who've made mistakes and were supposed to protect us and care for us, how the mighty have fallen. When I first moved here to Utah to go to college, to the US, because I lived in Mexico as a kid, um, I didn't have a car for the first year. And um, I bought a car the second year I lived here, and I was dating Aaron. 
And one day we stopped somewhere and I got in the back of the car and I pulled out some oil and I started filling up my um, oil <laughs> in the front of the car. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, just like gas, the car needs oil. And he's like, do you ever change your oil? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Change The oil needs to be changed? <laughs> it was like, I didn't know how to take care of my car. <laughs> I didn't know how to read a check engine light. It's embarrassing, I know. I'm sure my parents told me. I'm sure I watched my parents. I remember watching my dad do it. And so I don't know why that didn't translate into me doing it to my car, but there we go. I had a plume of smoke behind me wherever I drove. It was an old car. But I say that to make you think of a check engine light. Um, Rich Velotis says that the body is a check engine light. And um, if you have a racing heart, a twitching eyelid, a knot in your stomach, gritting your teeth, clenched jaw, can't catch a satisfying breath, your body is speaking to you loudly that there's something in you that needs to be changed. Maybe your oil needs to be changed. Maybe something needs to be you know, if you have a phone, if you have an app and you have no notifications and you never check your apps and you never get your notifications and you're missing important information from people or calendar or email or work or whatever, our bodies can tell us, hey, there's something in your spirit that needs to be taken care of. I'm experiencing anxiety. What, Lord, what do I need to do with my soul or spirit? When Joab and Abner were fighting, and Abner finally had a minute up on the hill, maybe they were just catching their breath. And Abner has the good sense to say, hey, Joab, maybe we shouldn't do this. <laughs> surrender or whatever it's not a surrender it's like can we just stop and Joab's like you're right we're tired we're killing one another Joab blows the ram horn and the army of Judah stops in its tracks listening to that ram horn is like looking at that check engine light <gasps> I need to stop and figure out something here. Must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this is going to end in bitterness? How long before you call off your men from chasing their brothers? As God lives, if you haven't spoken up, we would have continued the chase until morning. I love that God picked David to be king. Someone who slowed down. I mean, remember the time he what he didn't slow down and he almost got in trouble with Nabal, right? But it seems like he learned from that and he slows down. And he inquires of the Lord, what do I do next? I love that God picked someone who would grieve vengeance. There's lots more detail to this story. He also wipes his hands of it. He's like, I will not be part of vengeance. I will not be part of this. 
I love that God picks David to be king, someone who will write songs and laments for culture change. Because it's music that can help us sometimes change us on a gut level. Because the truth is, is it's easy to remember the songs we sang today. It'll be harder for you to remember what I said, right? That's the power of music. Some of us need to be stopped in our tracks. We need to slow down. We need to grieve and, and, and process the past and come to Jesus, the one who gives life. Here's some good news, because it sounds like a lot of mess, doesn't it? Here's some good news. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. We know the story because it's hard to have spoiler alerts when we're preaching from the Bible, right? You all know that David becomes king of all Israel. And he's able to establish a place of worship for all people. But there's something transformative that happens when we stop to follow Jesus and to come to him, the one who gives us life that he does a good work in us. Um, Philippians 1, 4 through 6. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If there are days or times when you feel like I just can't do this. The sons of Zariah are too strong for me. I can't handle these different houses. I can't handle all this stuff. You can pray with joy, like Paul prayed. We can pray with joy, because he who begins a good work in us will carry it on to completion. So, um, Kelsey, could you come up and... Um, Play the song about hope, maybe, or something, if you have it handy. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to sing it. Don't worry. We're not going to sing it. <laughs> um, today I've described something that happened in the Bible with these wars between houses. I don't want to prescribe to you how you should respond in your situations or what you should do. If anything, if, I could, if, if there's any encouragement I can give you, it's like, can you go to Jesus and just ask him, inquire of the Lord and say, Lord, these are, this is my grief about the fighting, about the brothers turned against brothers, about me with the people around me. Like maybe I put a dagger in someone's stomach. Maybe I've, maybe I've been chasing someone relentlessly until the sun goes down. Maybe I'm 
I don't know. I just, I'm praying that today that as we've described a story from the Bible, as we've told a story from the Bible, that you will take a minute to hear and think about what it um, could mean for you. And here's Henry, little Henry, ready to lead worship. <laughs> so we're just going to close our eyes for a minute and pause and ask the Lord to speak to us about that. So let's just do that just for a minute. Have a moment to listen. Maybe this is not going to work. <laughs> Why don't you go home and read about the sons of Zariah and just ask the Lord how you might respond? Amen. God be with you this week. God bless you this week. And um, if you would like prayer, we have a table over here where we can pray with you. We'll have um, some people there who, if you have any needs or you would like to talk with them about it, you can meet right there. And then if you want to pray with me or one of our leaders here, we want to pray with you. We want to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus and um, know him. So God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.